Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome to another episode of The Holistic You, Being With Intention. I'm your host, Charles Chevelle, and I am excited for our episode today. I have a special guest joining us today who's a good friend, also another good colleague of mine that I've known, actually someone that I know not even from the USA. So this is going to be an interesting topic with someone that I was able to develop guanxi, Guanxi is is actually a a word in Mandarin meaning relationship or who I was able to develop a friendship with at a time in my life when I was living abroad in Asia. So one huge thing that we share together is our experiences living abroad. So today I have my friend, my good colleague, Paul Cooper, and Paul and I initially connected when we were living as expats in Asia. So Paul and I were living abroad as expats in Asia at a particular point in our lives. And for those who may not know, I want to describe or define an expat in this episode is essentially someone that has moved abroad to live in a country outside of their own. So someone who has lived for a particular period of their lives or permanently outside of their native country to another country. So Paul and I lived as expats, as student expats, and also working expats at particular points in our lives. So in the People's Republic of China, also known as China or mainland China, the PRC, amongst other names as well. So we have this shared experience of living abroad in Asia, in East Asia, And we initially connected actually on WeChat. And for those who may not know, uh, WeChat is actually uh, very popular in East Asia and all over mainland China. And it is used as one of the main modes of social communication. And so from families, from school, from your job, from work, from all different aspects of your life, actually. And so without giving too many details away too soon... I just want to, without further ado, let's just get right into the episode here on The High. And so I hope that you all are excited for today's episode and to learn more about what it's like to live abroad, to live in a country outside of your own, maybe to study, to work for whatever it may be. And maybe you even learn a word or two of Mandarin here in this episode as well. So let's get right into the episode here on The High. So we have joining us here today on The High, my good friend, Paul Cooper. Thank you for joining us here today on The High. Yo, hey, CJ, what's up? Thank you. See, see. Thank you for coming, my brother. Mm-hmm. So, so I gave our listeners a little bit of an insider on how we originally connected. However, I haven't given just too many details on what it's like and how we've even obtained the opportunity to live abroad before. So I'm curious to hear about how did you get the opportunity to live abroad in China? Okay, well, um, I'll give you background first. So my name is yeah. Paul. Um, originally, my um, I'm an American with a Jamaican mother, American father, born abroad. So um, from a young age, I was abroad. I uh, came to the U.S. when I was about three years old and uh, stayed in Georgia mainly for about a good eight years. And then I got the opportunity to go to China. 
Mm. And so what opportunity led you? You up and left or did you have an opportunity to study or how did, how did that go about? How did your transition as an American or what interests you even in choosing China? How, what was that thought process like? Uh, well, I'll say from a young age, I've always really liked Asian culture. And then um, when I was in high school, a lot of my teachers also recognized that. So at the time when I was in 11th grade, that was back in uh, 2007, um, mm -hmm. My teacher, he um, he came to me and was like, hey, Paul, I know you're really interested in Asian culture, and we have a Japanese class opening. And I was like, Japanese? And I'm really into anime, so of course I'm like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to jump on this opportunity, right? <laughs> right. So um, that summer, I... Um, it I think that our school actually started two days after the Beijing Olympics had started, which is, um, I don't know the coincidence in that, but um, right. so the first day of school, my teacher came to me again. He was like, hey, oh, sorry. It's actually not Japanese, it's Chinese class. We got a grant from the Chinese government to open a Confucius Institute in my high school. And I believe we were the second high school in the state of Georgia to get a Confucius Institute. We were connected with um, MCG, Medical College of Georgia, because many um, oh. Chinese, I think it was many Chinese students at the time were doing transfer, was it, um, not transfer. Uh, uh, study abroad? Study abroad, sorry, thank you, yeah. Study abroad programs in um, mm. uh, Medical College of Georgia at the time. So they gave us a grant, actually, to open one at my school. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so um, I just remember that day I was upset, and I told my teacher, like, you promised me Japanese. It's Chinese. <laughs> and he said, Chinese, Japanese, the same thing. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so we know, yeah, that's totally different thing. So, um... I uh, studied Chinese. It was an immersion program, studied for a year. And even though I probably didn't have the best grades in the class, my teacher saw that I really, really enjoyed languages and culture and learning. So she introduced me to a separate program with um, Confucius Institute where you did a, a month of study abroad. And it was $1,000, I remember. And I asked my parents, like I begged my parents, like I don't want a car for graduation. I just want to <laughs> go to China for this trip. Like, it was like, I just, I have to go, it's a thousand dollars. So um, I go to China for a year. And so my first time in China, I wasn't actually in Shanghai, I was in Beijing. I started in Beijing, actually. I was at the Beijing, was it Culture and Language University? Yeah, so I was there, but then, um, it was funny because my first time in China was during the peak of swine flu. Oh, so, wow. So that's memorable. You can't forget that. I just remember we got quarantined. So <laughs> we were quarantined on Bay, what's it? Not Bay, uh, BCLU, that university. And I just remember um, it just gives me such an idea of what's going on right now in China mm. with the, the coronavirus. Right, in 2020. So wait, so this was back in 2013? No, or this was, is 2010. 2010. Okay. So it's actually interesting because I, I either didn't know or forgot that you actually, that we share a little bit more in common with our experience living in China. Because, uh, well, you know this before I listen, my first year in China was in 2015. And I got the opportunity to study abroad uh, via uh, a scholarship. I was actually an undergrad at the time. And I got a scholarship to study at the beginning of a summer. And it was actually in Beijing. It was actually oh. in Beijing too. So which it was university? at Beida, Beida oh. uh, which is PKU. So like P Peking University. So yeah, <laughs> like for those who know a little bit about Chinese university, this is considered a little bit of the Harvard of China for, for depending on who you talk to. <laughs> uh, but it was a, an incredible experience. And I had the opportunity to actually have a host family. And so that was a unique experience. But I, I think that 
as as an entrance, everyone's experience into China is a little bit different because you have some people who you know move there to work, some people who move there uh, unexpectedly, <laughs> some people who move there to study, and the reasons just go on, right? So I, I guess I'm really interested too to see how how did your shift go from living from one city in in China to another, or just how was that experience to live in a Chinese city, some, somewhere that you maybe had never even visited before, right? Yeah. So um, how my experience went, I spent a month in China for um, the whole uh, pro immersion program after high school. Then I went back to the U.S. to start studying back in, um, back in my hometown in Augusta, Georgia. And um, during that period of time, I just felt like this kind of, I don't feel like I'm doing what my life calling is or what I'm interested in. Because I knew that I was truly interested in doing something with China. And so at that time, I, I just decided I want, I dropped out of university. Mm -hmm. I um, And I uh, started working, earning money. And I had some friends who were going back and forth to China. So my first time in China, back when I was in um, Beijing, the last day we spent, I want to say eight hours in Shanghai. This is my first mm -hmm. time seeing Shanghai. And I've never seen a city so like modern and advanced and this is back in 2000 yes. this is summer of 2009 actually not i sorry i was incorrect it was 2009 summer not 2010 earlier wow. so when i first saw it i was like wow this is amazing and i i can come back to this place so i um went back to the us i looked into different options of studying in china and i found um shanghai international studies university which is my my my, my alma mater now um, mm -hmm. I found them and I applied through um, through a friend that was over in Shanghai at the time, and I bought my ticket, paid my admission fees, and I flew to Shanghai summer of 2010. Wow, wow! And I can and I can imagine too. Like when when I first went to China for the first time, it was to Beijing, but I can just imagine because I've been to a couple of you know the the big cities in China, and one thing that shocks me every time is just how futuristic it seems like <laughs> when i'm getting off the plane i'm just like i'm like in another world so i'm actually interested to to hear a little bit about what has really caught your eye regarding china and chinese culture well one thing that i've really i've noticed about china which um i don't think a lot of people ever think this kind of concept through but um so of course china is one of those countries with the oldest like the longest history five thousand yeah. years going even further back now um, so you'll, you, you still have this kind of aspect, uh, let's just say use Beijing, Beijing's a cultural center, right? So like Beijing kind of represents this culture and history that China has with, um, you know, like Chinese traditional medicine, the architecture, mm. and then Shanghai, which is a more modern city that came about during the, I think of what the late, I want to say 1800s, cause it was a mm -hmm. port. It, it's, it kind of represents this kind of modern identity that China has like um, Shanghai, Shenzhen, they have this kind of modern identity as being what happened after China opened again after the Cultural Revolution. So it's like you still kind of have this old culture that's there, but then you have this new younger generation that they're building their own culture, like Douyin, um, WeChat, these kind of things. It's like their original concept sometimes, or maybe they took an idea from a Western country and they built into their own thing and even make it better. So it's kind of like they're building their own culture on top of that. Like how African-Americans, we build our own culture on top of what we, we, we come from, you know? It's mm. like the younger generation of China after the Cultural Revolution, they're building their own culture again. That's that's so interesting, and I like how you put that too, because it is really like you, you see the, you see this, this youth or this, 
this upcoming generation, and you see a lot of it with the social media platforms, you see it a lot in the infrastructure of society over there. It is really interesting now that you put it that way. I would say one of the the fascinating things too about China is that you know it's it's one of the most populous countries in the world and so it's it's interesting how for me at least when I'm over in China how you organize or get people to pay attention to certain areas of I guess a social happening. So for example, WeChat being a platform where, you know, it's where families keep in touch, it's where you keep in touch with your friends, it's where you keep in touch at school with your classmates and even in the workspace. So it's it's an application that touches on all areas of one's lifestyle and it's different a little bit from the US if you think about it, right? Like you don't really text someone's number necessarily uh, all the time, you know, like we do in the USA, once someone's, you know, AT&T or Sprint or, or whatever the, the, the mobile de device may be. In China, instead, you're using application or a lot of these social platforms to feel connected with uh, a country of more than a billion people in it, right? Oh, you're right. And actually, think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting on how, like, for Beijing or or Shanghai, for example, when you, you see how people stay interconnected where you're using applications or social media devices to get on things such as public transit, right? Like oh. to get on those mo bikes to ride around the city in public transit. So it's really interesting how, I guess, for me, one of the most eye-opening things was just how technology is being used in, I guess, the 21st century now, right? <laughs> yeah, true. Also, I feel like um, with WeChat, I guess your viewers already know, or listeners already know what WeChat is, but with, um, with WeChat, a lot of times what I noticed was you're more willing to add someone on your WeChat than add their phone number in the US. Like in China, mm. I felt like I was very like, if someone was like, oh, you're a nice person. Can I have your WeChat? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But if someone were to do the same thing in the US, you're like, <laughs> hey, you're like a nice person. Can I get your phone number? Oh, no, I don't give my phone number to strangers. I feel like China kind of <laughs> gives you that sense where there, no one's really a stranger. It's just a person you mm. haven't talked to yet. I, I love that. Oh, I love that. No one's really a stranger, just someone you haven't talked to yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so what's interesting, too, is that being in China or living in China is that it is a very international spot. Like, of course, there are Chinese natives, right? But there are people from almost any country in the world that you can think of, really. That the people that I've met or encountered, whether it be at a, a night event or whether it be at a restaurant or whether it be at a tourist attraction, people from all around the world. So from your experience, I'm curious, though, what have been some of the, I guess, perceptions or have you come across any misconceptions that maybe you had encountered during your time or that you heard of during your time living in China about mm. you know where you come from or where you may come from, right? If someone doesn't know what country. That's true. Well, the funny thing was China kind of help me figure out what my identity is as a person. Because I feel like in the US, of course, okay, going back with Black History Month, of course. So mm. we're considered, I don't, I consider myself Jamaican American. So usually I won't say I'm African American. I say I'm Jamaican American, mm -hmm. you know? But mm -hmm. um, I would just say as a whole, um, African Americans or, you know, anyone who identifies as African descendant in the US, we usually don't know our culture or history. Well, many people don't, mm. you know. This, yeah. this kind of issue. So when I first moved to China, what kept happening was when um, I would meet people, this is before WeChat, this is when you're using phones or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So um, they would always say, oh, what part of Africa are you from? Like every time, I would say nine times out of 10, people always assume that I'm from Africa. 
Ah, like from a country in Africa, like just anywhere. Yeah, but even with that, he was like, oh, you're from Africa. Where in Africa? It's a continent. And they would never really, they're like, um, Nigeria? Like, you know, this kind of thing. So um, they don't, I think that's one misconception. A lot of Chinese people, not a lot, but many will think that um, when they see someone of African descent, they're automatically think African. And I don't, I don't fault them for that. Because if you think about it, if you see someone from China, if you see someone in China, is it, what's it, what's that word? Homogeneous? It's like, everyone's kind of the same ethnic. Homogenous, thank you. Everyone's a part of the same um, ethnic group. So, of course, they say, oh, you're Chinese. No, I'm Japanese. But because right. everyone around you is this thing, you're going just to automatically assume that, hey, everyone's mm. going to be this one thing. And the same applies for, like, um, African descendants. So when I first went to China, people kept saying I'm African. And I don't know why I would get offended. I would always get offended if someone called me African. I was like, no, I'm not African. Mm. I'm, I'm American, this kind of thing. I would always get offended. And it got to the point where I, I started like, why am I getting offended about being African? Is that it's beautiful mm. to be African? You know, so before, like I think my later years in China, when people would say like, oh, you're from Africa. I was like, yeah, I'm from Wakanda. Like, I would just be so <laughs> happy to say that I'm, I'm I love African. that. <laughs> like, I, I just go with it. Like, yeah, I'm from Africa. I'm okay. I'm Ghanaian. Yeah. You know, it's just, it felt like um, it was more like a, it came a compliment at the end of mm. my time there. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm black. I'm proud to be, you know, African. <laughs> Ben, I'm so happy to hear that. I, I really am. And I actually never really knew that much detail of your story as far as like your your own personal growth and journey as far as ethnic identity living outside of one's home country. And in that same vein, I guess how I've almost experienced too, I would say some people have even considered me like racially ambiguous. So they never really know where I'm from. I've gotten yeah. all types of things. <laughs> so... Uh, and even in the U.S., you know, depending on what area I may be in, right? You know, uh, I've gotten Latino. I got things from Asian, uh, African-American. I've gotten things from, you know, everything in between as well. So I really do think that you you really do have to give everybody that benefit of the possibility of being from anywhere, really, when you meet them. Yeah, that's you know? true. Like, um, I feel like everyone should have the right to be proud of where they are from, you know? Yeah. So, um I became more proud about where I, my my family or my um, ancestors come from. Because I always, there was one night I went to this African party. Now, this is what made me, it's like, wow, you know, in Africans. China, right? Yeah, this is in China. Like, I, I, the great part about me is, um, so back when I was in university, I um, I was always the student ambassador. So I'd have to give the speech beginning of the semester. So every time my university, I would give the same, not the same, but similar speech. So mm-hmm. this started from 2012. I would start the speech. I was like, hola, anyaseo, ah. konnichiwa, ni hao, privyet. And I would just say maybe like 20 different languages, how to say hello in 20 different languages. And the audience, we have people from Korea, Japan, China, Russia, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, any country you think <laughs> of. And I just remember I would say it just because I want to draw them in and tell them like, hey, your experience should not be compiled by you hanging out with the same country that you're from. Mm. Being in Shanghai, such an international city, people moving and going places, you yeah. can become friends with someone from the other side of the world. You ever thought about digging a hole and going to the other side of the world? This is your chance to dig into somebody, you know, from mm. another country. And um, I went to this party after that what, that night, I remember, and I was hanging out with some Africans. So I had Nigerians, Senegalese. I had people from everywhere. Wow. And, my Nigerian friend, I think we were talking shit about each other. And then he went real low. He said, um, <laughs> he said, well, 
you know, the good part about me being Nigerian is I never feel like a second class citizen in my country. Wow. And I was like, but you're speaking the truth. That was truth. I felt that. Like I was like, that hurt, but I felt that. Now you're like, you're exactly right. Why am I a second class citizen in my country? Wow. Wow. That's so that's so interesting. I feel like I think that you touched on a couple good points there. One where you even mentioned sensibility of touching home to certain people, although you may not know where, you know, where they're from. We share a common, I think, thing that brings people together, communication and language. So one thing that you did, and I talked about it before on another episode, uh, is about speaking the, the tongue of someone's mother tongue and it touching someone's heart rather than going to their head. And the importance of actually learning the, the a native language of any place that you're in or if you're in this particular group where, you know, the ethnic majority is another ethnicity and you want to be a little bit more cordial or respectful, you can learn some of that language. Right. And I think for the sense of like China or moving anywhere abroad is is when you have to think about the linguistic and how you navigate that world, not knowing that main language. So. All I'm saying is really it's interesting because as we talk about living abroad and living in China, yeah. I, I I guess learning Chinese had to be a part of your journey. Yeah. Yeah, or, it, it really was. How did your journey go about with you learning uh, or communicating with natives? How did you did you learn Mandarin there? I know you said that you studied a little bit in the States, but how was that process in China itself, learning Mandarin? So before, prior to going to China, yeah, I studied. Um, it was an immersion program that I did in high school because I, I think at the Confucius Institute, their main purpose is not to teach you to be fluent in the language. Their main purpose is to immerse you in the culture so that you get like an understanding of Chinese culture. But it's like at a very, um, it's a shallow level of course because you have one class per week so what i got the chance to do was um i learned i learned more about pinyin i don't know do your listeners know about pinyin no what you can share a little bit about pinyin Okay, so Chinese is a character-based language, but um, yeah, as a, sorry, character-based writing system. But they um they go based off the pinyin, which it's more like it's based off the the English alphabetical system. So it's like you know p i n pin. Y I N Ying Ping Ying, right? I can I can pronounce it that way. So right, my like under- Latinized the Latinized version, just to help the listeners understand too, like the in Latin script, just like the English letters or alphabet used to explain a Chinese character a little bit, right? Yeah, correct. So um, my understanding, because our teacher didn't explain that to me, is that <laughs> the Chinese people use Pinyin to write. So mm-hmm. I was in. I was thinking that man, I'm more or less fluent in the language now. So when I first went to China, I was assuming like, hey, I'm not gonna have any problems communicating or reading or anything because I I can say, well, she huan pingguo, well, yao chu xi shou jian. I knew the basic like, <laughs> I want to eat an apple, <laughs> I want to go to the bathroom, stuff mm-hmm. like this. But I think the one thing that kept pushing me was I'm because I'm not coming from a background where I could just study because my parents, they said, right when you get there, you need to find a job. Mm. So I was in China for about a month and a half. And I just remember the first difficulty I had was because everyone was telling me, go teach English because everyone teaches English there. But when I got there, the problem was um, a lot of people, they, I think at that period of time, this is 10 years ago, of course, mm-hmm. they, they kept thinking that I was African again. The thing came up again. They said, oh, he's African. Right. So he's not from a native English speaking country or, oh, he'll, he'll mm-hmm. have an accent. So it won't be um, native like language. Yep. You need, so I remember a couple of times I had um, classmates who were from Belgium or Russia and they were getting English teaching jobs, but I couldn't just because they looked the part. Mm. You know? Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. You know what was interesting, too, is that uh, there's been instances where the, the topic of race has come up where, you know, people do make these unfortunate assumptions. Uh, however, to, to play both roles, essentially, too, there's sometimes, too, where as a foreigner, as a white Warren, which is foreigner, right, in Mandarin, for mm-hmm. those who are not maybe in, in the realms of mainland China, those who are not from there, there are conceptions or perceptions that we may have too going to China as well. So I'm actually curious to hear a little bit about maybe were there ever any misconceptions or perceptions that you had before going to China versus, you know, the reality of how things actually were when you got there? Well, one misconception I had about China was, um, well, their technology. I didn't think they were going to be that advanced. I don't know why, but I think many Americans, especially military background like me, they um, they have this kind of idea that China is what Ch- China looks to look like what North Korea looks like, actually. I don't know why, but like a couple, I remember my friend's dad told me like two weeks before I left for China the first time, he's like, be careful because they might like snatch you up in a black van or something and i was like what? wow yeah because he was like you know the communists over there that's what they do it's like they have this kind of idea that i don't know it feels like communism is like how i said before with the culture where you have the five thousand year culture and the new culture yeah. that's kind of how china is also with their communist party like the old communist party versus the new communist party mm. That's interesting. So you would say maybe that this is an impression that you had or people around you had when you were back in the state or where? This was, this is back in the state. So I, cause I had no idea about like, I knew about Japanese culture, but Chinese culture was like, I I knew Mulan and Kung Fu films. Right, right, right. That's the only, (laughs) like, I was thinking like, can you think of any modern Chinese films that Mm -hmm. you watch besides Hong Kong? Like something from Hong Kong. Or IP, man. Yeah. It was always these kind of films, but you never had any um never had any of these modern china films right where you learn about china you know that's actually a good point too because i actually was going to just mention for my upbringing uh you know coming from the states as well on the state side and growing up in a very african-american family so we used to watch a lot of kung fu movies when i was younger so a lot of these bruce lee movies or you know that was the extent or my family's knowledge to maybe a little bit about chinese culture so I guess I would say one of the impressions that I had, false impressions that I had going over to China uh, back in 2015 was that I was going to see, you know, a lot of people into maybe doing Gong Fu, right? Or Kung Fu, or even dressed maybe in, you know, similar style clothing, which, you know, depending on where you go, maybe not in the big city where it's, you know, a little bit more integrated and internationalized, but in some regions you may go, you know, maybe you will actually find a large population that does Kung Fu or maybe that does Qigong, you know, that does work with the body and that, you know, that practices all types of different martial arts, right? Yeah, so true. some truths to some of our, I would say, thoughts or impressions, but it's not as extreme. I guess I would put it like that. Yeah, just, like every everyone, I think in the U.S. Not everyone in the U.S., but like a lot of people, like um, if you're you're not um very culturally aware of the world, they always have this. Oh, China, they all know kung fu, right? You know, <laughs> I think it's like ninety five percent of the population, or ninety nine percent of the population don't know kung fu in China. But everyone had this kind of like, oh, all Chinese people know kung fu. No, mm-hmm. like <laughs> my friend, all my friends were like, they were like, I didn't see them doing any like flying midair kicks. But okay I, then. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's you get a wide variety of the spectrum of what people are interested in. And just like being in China, I feel like, you know, coming from a U.S. American background or North American background, we should also afford them that same opportunity because they have so much diversity, even in their own culture. 
right? Mm, correct. So, so, so one question that I do want to wrap up this episode with, it, it is a special question because since we're both no longer living in China, in the mainland, in Dalu right now, I am curious to hear about what is one main thing that you miss about uh, living in China or just Chinese lifestyle that, you know, maybe you don't necessarily get or have the opportunity to have in the U.S.? Well, it's kind of a compound two different things. So um, previously, I mean, you can do this in New York, I'm sure, in Chicago or Detroit, bigger cities maybe, but public transportation, right? Mm-hmm. So when I first moved, because now I live in Los Angeles, a company sent me here. But um, now that I'm based in Los Angeles, my um, you have to have a car in L.A. You cannot. I mean, you can you can live without a car, but it would be the most inconvenient. Like, because <laughs> I'm driving like I'm driving 30 miles this way, 30 miles that way just to meet somebody. Mm, so yeah. um, the transit transit thing also. But the thing is, I'm I'm driving 30 miles to meet somebody. That means it's a planned meeting. Correct. Mm. I felt like in Shanghai or in China, a lot of the times you met people on the streets, you met people when you're riding a mobile, you met people on the train station, you met people in the shop. But it's like um, with this kind of U.S. transportation type of lifestyle, I, I don't meet people on my way there. Only people I'm going to see on my way from point A to point B is whatever cars I pass on the street. But I'll never be able to strike up a conversation with these people. You know what I mean? Mm. So that's how I felt like before when I was in China. I was like, oh, everyone's kind of is a stranger until I have a conversation with you kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it feels like every it kind of like our cars and our homes, our lifestyles, even though we run into people on the street, they, they're still strangers to us. They're not kind of like, what's it called? It's not someone who just become my friend automatically. And wow. I'm, I'm trying to get used to that kind of lifestyle that the U.S. has. So interesting. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And a small thing, I guess, that I miss about maybe living abroad in in China may be certain conveniences. And and at a large part of it is actually due to the accessibility of things, uh, I would say, depending on your your, your bigger cities, right? Um, I'm sure in maybe smaller cities in China may be a little bit difficult to travel longer distances. But once again, too, the city may not be that big. So living in cities like Shanghai or Beijing, which have over 20 million people, I I would say one of the most convenient things is actually being able to utilize services or maybe things like WeChat, where you can do almost anything as, you know, upload your your transit card for getting on public transit, uh, pay your phone bill, pay your house utilities, uh, communicate with friends. Buy a plane uh, ticket. Buy, I didn't even know you could do that. Buy <laughs> so. a plane ticket. You can rent a bike. You can rent a car. You can um, buy Purchase a train items. ticket. Yeah, you can even, you can put money, in, uh, what's it called? They had the insurance also, where you can um, pay for insurance. You could put yourself like a savings account. I think you, now you can even put money into the stock market. It's, wow. Yeah. I was, they, WeChat does everything. It's a super Basically. App. And that is one of the things I miss most about the conveniences of living in China. And I would say in the U.S. it's a little bit different because not many people use it or you can't use WeChat in that same uh, manner. But I can I know that we can talk on and on about China because our our experience there, we have so many different experiences there. And you can you feel like you experience the world in one city, you know, living in in some cities in China. So. Thank you, Paul. I want to thank you again, Sisini, for coming, for joining us for today's episode. It's been a pleasure. What's it called? Radio show? <laughs> how, do you, how do you say podcast in Chinese, actually? 
Ting Shu, like listening book, is the closest I've gotten to it. Otherwise, you know, what I've heard, you know, maybe Chinese speaker podcasters use is just podcast. <laughs> okay, because Ting Shu is kind of like audiobook. Right, right. So, oh, okay, I guess it's similar. Chabudoba. <laughs> so our bilingual listeners will understand a little bit of that dialogue. But uh, thank you again anyway, Paul, for joining us today. And for our listeners, you know what to do. If you like this episode, if you learned something new, feel free to share, comment, and like, and subscribe. And I look forward to sharing with you all and speaking to you all in our next podcast episode. Sending you all much peace, love, and light to you all. Thank you again, Paul, for joining. Thank you.